Welcome to the Oilcast for March 16, 2017 with your host, George Eliopoulos. Talk about impressive. We put up a seven spot for the second straight game in a very fun 7-4 win over the Bruins. Today I discuss secondary scoring, ponder the question of if it's possible to have too many left-wingers, touch on the special teams, and finally get into Hart Trophy talk. But first, the recap. Ooh, baby, this was a fun one. Uh, let me first actually start by going over the Art Ross race, since two of the top three were actually in this game. Obviously, that was Brad Marchand and Connor McDavid. And they were also tied with Patty Kane, who all had thir- 76 points heading into this one. And then Patrick Kane got one assist in Chicago's win in the nation's capital, so that put him at 77, one point up on the other two. I will keep a counter as I go through the recap for both Marchand and McDavid. Here we go. So the power play got working early for the Oilers in this one. It was the second unit doing damage. Jordan Eberle very patiently drew a couple defenders in and found Patrick Maroon backdoor with a great feed. And then just 59 seconds later, guess who? Patty Maroon with his second of the game, just 528 into it. And with that, he tied Connor McDavid with the team leading goals with 24. And then he was actually set up on a nifty play by McDavid in front of the net, putting McDavid in a tie with Kane with 77 points. And then Edmonton just kept rolling from there. You want to talk about chemistry for this new third line? David D'Arnais found Benoit Pouliot while Benoit was on his knees in front of the net for the tap-in. 3-0. Talk about a big-time start for the Oilers. The Bruins did not roll over, though. Kind of a MO of that, that team. With 7.31 left in the first, David Pasternak took a feed from Brad Marchand for a power play goal. That was Marchand's 77th point, putting him back in a tie with McDavid and Kane. The Bruins even managed to actually get within a goal just a few minutes later. This time, Brad Marchand finished off a pass from Zdeno Chara. Marchand got way too open considering that's how good he is. And from what I saw, I would put the blame on Eberle, who probably should have picked him up coming to the back end. Uh, That was the 78th point and league lead for Marchand. But then just a couple minutes later, the big rib dropped the gloves with Adam McQuaid. It wasn't a great bout, but I will give the nod to McQuaid. Uh, He got the more solid blows in, whereas... Uh, Maroon kind of just got the, the jersey jersey jabs. But somehow, this period actually had more excitement to go after that. With a little over a minute left, McDavid tried to bank the puck in from behind the net. Instead of bouncing into the air, and Anton Slepyshev showed some sweet hand-eye, batting it past to Karask, 4-2 Oilers, and 78 points for Connor. Then just before the period end, we got our second Tilly. It was Zach Cassian. He kind of initiated things with Chara, but ultimately it was Chara who made the fight happen, and it didn't last long. They just threw a couple and then fell the ice together. Probably worked out in Zach's favor. Anyway, that was finally the end of the period. Six goals and two fights later. Then the Oilers' second power play unit stayed hot with an early opportunity in the second period. With Maroon still in the box from his earlier fight, Drake Kajula got a chance on the power play, and he was the one who banged it home in front of the net. It was his first goal in 15 games, and that was also the end of the night for Tukarask. He gave up five goals on 18 shots. Somehow, though, the Bruins kept fighting back. Dominic Moore beat Cam Talbot with a shorty. Uh, It was a quick backhand off the post, making it 5-3. But of course, what would this game be without a quick response from the Oilers? It was Mr. Frustrated, Leon Dreisaitl, who forced the turnover and beat Anton Kudobin unassisted, restoring the three-goal lead. Finally, the Oilers survived the Bruins' pushback and got their third power play goal of the game, putting this game out of reach. Milan Lucic took a McDavid pass off both skate legs for the lucky goal and a 7-3 lead. That put Connor up to 79 points, one ahead of Marchand, two ahead of Kane for the league league. I mean, maybe I smoked, spoke too soon about the whole out-of-reach thing because the Bruins did take advantage of a last-minute five-on-three in the second period. David Krejci wired the his 20th past Cam Talbot, and guess who got an assist? Yep. 
Marshawn got his third point of the game, meaning he and McGeezy were tied with 79 points after two periods. Although, after that crazy four, uh, first 40 minutes, you would have expected more, but things chilled out, and we saw no scoring in the third. 7-4 Oilers final, putting them back in a top-three spot in the division, and of course also McDavid and Marshawn finishing the game tied in the league league with 79 points, with Patrick Kane stuck at 77. All right, so I said after the 7-1 win against the Stars that although there are obviously a lot of great things that come out of a 7-1 win, it wasn't one of those games where it felt like the entire team just dominated. It was more of a, the Stars have given up on the season and rolled over really easily, circa Oilers the last 10 years. But this game, even though we gave up the four goals, it definitely felt more of like a, a great game, dominant performance, because the Bruins battled back every time we went up. We went up 3 nothing early, and the Bruins kept battling back. There were two fights in the first period, for God's sakes. I mean, it was it was a good hockey game, and the Oilers just kept going blow for blow and, and knocking out, ultimately, the Boston Bruins. Uh, it was really impressive, great to see. And the thing that I liked the most was the secondary scoring, because I, I really do think that it's the one thing to be most excited about if you're an Oilers fan hoping to see this team really peak uh, for playoffs. Knock on wood, again, we're not in there, but of course, you come on. Anyways, we know Connor's going to be great, but this 14 goals in two games, and then it's 10 if you don't include the ones that McEasy got a point on. So, I mean, 10, 10 of them in, uh, in two games is really impressive from all of our secondary scoring, and here is actually Coach McClellan after the game on the secondary scoring. Well, it's, it's important now. It'll be important in, down the stretch to know that um, there's others that can step up and get it done and you know different power play units um, different lines uh, unusual suspects so i'm just going to kind of go over the stats for all the basically guys not named connor mcdavid who've done well over the last two games patrick maroon had three goals and one assist uh, he might not count as secondary scoring but he'd been slumping with one goal in 11 games so to see him kind of bust out of this with Two great performances. I think bodes very well because you look at him as a guy that they're going to need to get scoring from on the first line. And then kind of in the same vein, Leon Dreisaitl had two assists against Dallas and then a goal in two tonight. So, I mean, same idea as Maroon. He'd just been slumping. I called him Mr. Frustrated because everyone talked about how he's just been so frustrated. And it's obvious he's been very hard on himself the last few games. So it was great to see him bust out of that. And, I mean, I wasn't concerned ultimately about the first line. I don't know why anyone would be with Connor McDavid on it. But still great to see those guys get out of there. And then Drake Kajula finally got in the lineup again tonight. He had taken three games off in the press box. And we thought he scored the power play goal in the second period. But I guess they gave it to Nuge. And he was right involved in that. I'll talk a little bit more about him later. Then Anton Slepeshev, he got back in the lineup tonight. uh, Or uh, the last two games, I should say. And he has a goal and assist in those ones. So obviously good to see that. Uh, for the second line, Milan Lucic has a goal and two assists in the two games. Eberle, three assists. And Nugent Hopkins, two goals. So great to see that from the second line. That's the much maligned line that we've been looking for all year. Actually, you know what? Let's play these $6 million men now since we're talking about them. Um, it's the game that we that I'll play where we decide basically which of our $6, $6 million men on our second line are worth their contracts. Cue the music. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. Okay, so um, I thought that this line actually, unlike you know most of the season, 
they kind of looked like an $18 million line put together. It was pretty impressive. Uh, Lucic brought his presence all night, really was physically, I wouldn't say was physically dominant, but the Bruins did not back down whatsoever, and Lucic was there to to be that guy for us. He also obviously got two helpers. Nuge, I thought, might have been the weakest. He did score the goal, so I have to give him credit for that, but he didn't do much 5-1-5 and was 24% in this face-off circle. Not good, obviously, but Jordan Emberley was the one that I was most impressed with on the line. Uh, the, the first goal, first or second goal, the one on the power play, where he drew two defenders in and just looked, he was very patient with the puck, waited for it, waited for it, and then found Pouliot back door for the goal. That I was really impressed with because it's just not something you see. I talk about Jordan Eberle being a confidence guy. When he's confident, he's great. When he's not, he's really not good. And he's playing confidently now, which is all you want to see. And he's when he's confident, he's patient with the puck. He looks assertive. There were a couple other times when he had the puck and he looked assertive in terms of going to the net and scoring. So really impressed with him. All in all, the $6 million man tonight was all three of them. This was a great, great, great game all in all from that second line. And then the third line I want to talk about finally because, again, they look great. I'm really, really impressed with them. David Arnaz looks so good since he's come back with uh, or joined us not come back with us but joined the Oilers he got a, he's had a goal and an assist in the last two games bringing up to four points in six games as an Oiler um, Pouliot scored one obviously that I just talked about Zach Cassian had five shots and five hits which is all you can ask of Zach Cassian that's a perfect performance from him I mean outside of obviously scoring a bunch of goals but that third line has just looked great in the two games it's been with Pouliot um, Dernay and Cassian but even looked great when it was Kajula on the left wing um, so really, really good to see that. I wanted to touch a bit on the special teams first, basically to compliment the power play, because I had talked a couple times on this, on, on this show, how I really wanted this team to become dominant on the power play down the stretch. We've got so much talent and there had been a few games where we had kind of taken the gas off and not just not being good on the power play, not gotten opportunities, but the last two games, they're four for eight, which is fantastic because it's not just been four goals from the first unit. It's been two from each unit. And frankly, I think that the, Second unit's been even better than the first, which I mean bodes very well. The fact that we can not have to think like back with the days with Ovechkin in the uh, in the Capitals, where it was like he has to be out there for two minutes, otherwise they're not going to score. It's it's really good to see that we can go to uh, ten deep and basically be pretty good on the power play. The penalty kill, though, I wanted to talk about because we gave up two on three attempts tonight, which is obviously not good, but I mean whatever it's one game but I felt that was relevant because Matt Hendricks was out of the lineup and I agree with the call of taking him out of the lineup because he played a ton of minutes uh last game kind of when they were blowing out the stars he they wanted they, they took McDavid out of the game pretty early I should say pretty early just with a few minutes left but they gave a lot of time to the fourth line and Hendricks has been logging a lot of minutes for a 36 year old he's been playing a lot he's been playing great really impressed with him but I guess and also the fact that, I mean, you wanted to get Drake Kajula back in the lineup. He'd sat out three games. He's a young guy. So I agree with the call of taking him out for this one. But you see the effect that it has. He comes out, and now all of a sudden, he the, the penalty kill doesn't look very good. I know that's something Coach McClellan has talked about numerous times in his press conferences. He said that you need to, or he, he makes a lot of his line decisions towards the bottom six based on the penalty kill because they had struggles on the penalty kill. So you know Letestu and Hendricks were were the are always the first two guys out there. And without him today, you saw struggles. So that really poses the question for me of what are we going to do with all of our left wingers? Um, I told you I was going to be- get back to Drake Kajula, and this is big per- the reason why. But first, I'm going to give you a, a clip from the pregame that Coach McClellan said about Kajula. I felt that he uh, he used his speed 
to create opportunities, but nothing really happened with him, um, you know, over the past 10 or 15 games. Uh, he was involved in a lot, but nothing happened off of it. And we need a little bit more substance at the end, the back end of it. I'm not talking about just scoring, but, you know, m making that last play, getting that last shot on goal, um, finishing the play off a little bit more. So this was his, this is basically what I've been saying and what, we hear a lot about Drake Kajula recently because I'm a big Kajula fan. I'm really impressed with what I've seen from him. It's just been the issue of, yeah, he hasn't actually gotten the points. But for a guy who's in his first year in the league and was used to scoring so much last year, it's kind of understandable. He's undersized. He doesn't. He's not going to be playing with the same confidence. But I think you're just seeing flashes from him time and time again. Been really, really impressed with him five on five. And I think it's just a matter of time till he starts scoring. But... I mean, the thing is now he's now he's now that he's out here and or now that Benoit Pouliot's back and playing much much better than he did uh, before his injury and when we had been uh, sitting him in the press box a lot. Now you got to think that it, it, is he going to be a mainstay on this third line? Because obviously it's it's looked great for two games. Who knows? But if he plays anywhere near where Benoit Pouliot of, of the past whatever eight years has been, I mean he's that line with Benoit Pouliot, David Darnay, and Zach Cassian could be fantastic there. Um, and then obviously you could think, oh, well, just put Kajula on the fourth line, which first of all, I don't particularly like the idea of Kajula on the fourth line, because if you want him to get confidence in terms of scoring, I don't know if that's going to be good. It'd probably give longer stretches without scoring many points. But regardless of that, it's, it's looking at the fact that you'd be taking Matt Hendricks out of the lineup anytime you wanted to put him on the fourth line. I mean, maybe you could go Hendricks on the right wing or Kajula on the right wing, which I'm not sure if that's an option. I don't know if either of them have a history of doing that and, if if one if they do then that would obviously change things but I mean we're seeing that I don't think we want to take Matt Hendricks out of the lineup I know that earlier in the year when I talked about how much I loved him I kind of also admitted that maybe he doesn't actually have a role he's 36 years old he might be a little too slow but no he's he's been great even five on five in terms of just being a pest and and being a hard worker but penalty killing he's been phenomenal and much needed for a team that doesn't have depth in terms of penalty killers up front um so it's it's going to be interesting to see how that works out. I mean, I I really don't know what the solution is because you want Drake Kajula in. I, I don't like the idea of taking him out. And I mean, I suppose it's obviously better to have a surplus uh, than it is to not have enough left wingers. But unless one of them is willing to go to the right wing, there just isn't a spot. Patrick Maroon's up there on that first line. Lucic is obviously not coming off. I mean, if he swapped, he'd maybe just swap with Pouliot or something. But you imagine he's sticking on the second line. If Benoit Pouliot continues to establish himself, I mean, he's going to be on the third line. And even if, say, he slumps, then I guess that would be where Kajula goes. But then Pouliot wouldn't have a spot either. And then Hendricks is on the fourth line. It's really just that third line where it's going to be, is it going to be uh, Pouliot or Kajula? Obviously, right now, it looks like Pouliot has the leg up. But it's going to be really interesting to see how that's going to work out because I don't want Kajula sitting four to five games in the press box all the time. I don't think that's going to work whatsoever come playoff time if you're a if you're if you're the Oilers. I mean, I don't know if you consider putting him down to the AHL. I don't know. I I'm just really interested to see how this works out going forward because I I just don't want to see Kajula get messed up these last couple weeks in terms of his confidence. Okay. So, we've gotten through all the stuff for the Oilers games and all that, and I told you I would get to some Hart Trophy talk, which I really wanted to get to. Um, I've kind of been waiting as long as I possibly could because I just don't think that it's necessary to talk about McDavid all the time, whether it's him scoring goals, how much I'm in love with him, how he's the best hockey player I've ever seen, you know, yada, yada, yada. But... 
we're finally at the last stretch of the game, uh, from the final 12 games, and also the fact that he went up against the rising candidate in Brad Marchand. First, I'm going to just talk about how I will be talking about stats and standings more in the final stretch, because now that we're down to this here, I'll be updating you. Um, I guess it's on three things. Number one, the standings, basically where we where we fall and then what Calgary and Anaheim have done recently. And then I'll also toss in L.A. because, you know, matters in terms of the last playoff spot. Maybe San Jose, depending on how they're doing. And today we sit, obviously, in uh, in third place now in the division. We finally gotten back up there. We passed Calgary after they finally lost to the Bruins. Um, and then we sit one point behind Anaheim for home ice. We're eight clear of L.A. for the final playoff spot. And as a side note, which I found interesting looking at the at the standings, is that every team in the Pacific Division has played exactly 70 games. Just not often you see that. Uh, anyway, okay. So I'll also be updating the scoring race and any, and any updates on Connor McDavid's position for the Hart Trophy, and that's where we come in for today. So I wanted to get into that because this was a big game, and I wanted to see who would play better between McDavid or... Um, uh, Brad Marchand, I counted their points, obviously. They both finished the game with three points and putting them two, two ahead of Patty Kane, and I believe that would be five ahead of Sidney Crosby in the scoring race. But they both played fantastic, so neither of them kind of got a leg up in this game. But I guess my point here is I think that Brad Marchand should not really be a part of the Hart Trophy equation. I don't mean that in the sense that he shouldn't be voted for, because I think that he he is the third guy. I just think it's a two-man race between McDavid and Brent Burns, because, you know what, it's great what Brad Marchand's been doing. That's awesome, and he has been fantastic, but ultimately, you look at a team in terms of what one man brings to his unit and how he can lift them, and it's McDavid in Edmonton. He has completely turned that team around offensively. When we go through stretches where we talk about how we've had no secondary scoring, the opposite of what we had the last couple of games, it's it's the McDavid line. When we lose 2-1 or win 2-1, it's, oh, McDavid had one point. Oh, McDavid had two points, and then nothing else. So I And, and also the fact that he's been bringing his game up so much more these last 20, which is, I guess, a point to Marshawn, who's been unbelievable in the last 20. I just think that... With similar point totals and uh, similar in the standings, I think that you have to give it to McDavid between those two because McDavid has taken over a team that didn't have an identity, whereas Marshawn has just upped his game. He's upped it a lot. He's been fantastic, but he hasn't completely changed the team. If you talk about what's changed the team, you think about the fact that they made a coaching change and a culture change. So, I mean, he's been fantastic. I'm not going to take anything away from Brad Marchand because everyone in Vancouver hates him, which means I love him. I just don't think he's done anything unbelievable this year. Whereas what Connor McDavid has been doing is unbelievable. And so has been what Brent Burns is doing. What Brent Burns has been doing is unfathomable in defensively. I mean, he's got uh, 27 goals, which I mentioned before, uh, in since 1992-93, I believe. Um, only Mike Green in 08-09 had more with 31, which is probably a number that Brent Burns will pass. He's dominating the shots in terms of defensemen. He's a plus, uh, pardon me, I don't have this in front of me. I believe he's a plus 23 was what I looked at. He's just logging in insane minutes. He's been carrying the team. Obviously, the fact that, it, that that his team's also in first place in the division. I just think it's been remarkable what he's been doing. And a few weeks ago, I would have said, uh, I actually said to anyone, I, I think that if, if the scoring title is within like a couple of points and Brent Burns is up there. I think you just have to give it to him because his team's in first and to do that as a defenseman while also being a big time plus. 
um, is just phenomenal. Uh, but the thing is, he's, he's slipped a little bit. He's down to 70 points, which is nine back of McDavid and Marshawn. And so, I mean, I think this this becomes a much closer race because I'm... I swear there's absolutely no bias here in the sense because you might you might think that there, there is, but I I will piss off Oiler fans in the future by saying Connor McDavid doesn't deserve the Hart Trophy because I don't really believe in being biased with this kind of stuff. But I do think that the narrative matters in that he turned a team around. I think that 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 should matter more when when I talk about how there's been a there's a culture in Boston. They haven't always they haven't been great every year. They missed the playoffs last year by a point or whatever it was. Um, and I but but they have Chara. They've got Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci, all those guys. Tuka Rask. Um, and it's there was obviously the coaching change that was a big thing. So although he's been great, I mean he, he hasn't turned the franchise around by any means. Whereas I look at a guy like Connor McDavid. Uh, and, and, you know, even sorry, I want to go back. Even Brent Burns. I mean, he hasn't turned that around. That's been a culture in place for a long time. Joe Thornton's been there forever. Patrick Murrow's been there forever. Joe Pavelski's been there for a long time. I mean, that's a team that just sustains success. And it is fantastic. It is amazing. It is really unbelievable what Brent Burns has done. But it's he hasn't transcended the team. And I think that that's what Connor McDavid's done. At, at a ripe age of 19, now 20 years old, he has taken over the captaincy and turned this team completely differently him and I would say Milan Lucic obviously as the two leaders of course you're going to give credit to uh to McClellan as well but he has really been the guy that makes it that's turned Edmonton into the losers the the absolute embarrassment scrub team of the NHL into a team that no one wants to play against this is a team that's scary and it's because of him he leads by example every story you hear about his work ethic what he does is fantastic and he's just he's upped his game so much recently I think I mean I don't think the stats show it especially because I think the last two games he hasn't even been in his best even though he's got four points I think it was the game the whatever it was six games before where he only had six points or five games where he had six points I thought he should have had maybe 13 points points in those games because he was so good and he's brought this team's level up so much so I I think that assuming he comes and wins this Hart show or the Art Ross which I really think he's going to do I think there's really no doubt in my mind that this year it should be Connor McDavid as the Hart Trophy winner barring some barrage by um, by Brent Burns end the season. Also, I will say, barring a lack of team stress towards the end, I think that you also have to say that the Oilers have to have to um, secure one of the top three spots in the Pacific Division. If they get that second spot, I think he's all but locked in because the narrative is that a 19, 20-year-old just turned a franchise around on a dime and was the most exciting. This year of Connor McDavid is the most exciting year I think we've seen since pre-Crosby in terms of one player doing something unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's up there with maybe Ovechkin's 60-goal year, Crosby's 120-point year. But I think it's more exciting just because we, it's a, we, we're seeing a guy take over games in ways that we've never seen anyone do it before with his speed and his IQ. And it's unbelievable. And I just think that he really is deserving of the Hart Trophy this year. But we'll talk a little bit more of that over the next 12 games um, anyway, moving on, uh, no time for hashtag Willers today. Sorry guys. Uh, we'll just get to next game because we're running out of time. It comes Saturday at home against the terrible, lowly Canucks puck drop is 8 PM mountain time. Talk to you then oil country.